we haven't met, my name is David, the, the pastor here, Fafeao, the Fafeao, is it? How is it in Tongan? I can never get that bit right. The pastor, it's lovely to be here with you this morning. If you're visiting this morning, or if you've come in and you haven't got a copy of our notes, please grab a, someone will put your hand up and someone will bring you, Doug's bringing them around. Thank you, Doug. So please take a look at that to see what we're talking about today. There was a young man who grew up in a family of atheists, they were adamant atheists, but this young man had been discovering and searching and finding out more about Jesus and eventually decided he wanted to become a Christian, but he didn't want to tell his family because he knew it would cause trouble. He knew it would cause arguments. He didn't want to tell his family that he'd become a Christian. So he went one day to the pastor, the preacher, the person he'd been working with and said, look, I want to become a Christian but I don't want to tell my family. I want to be secret. The preacher said to him, well, in your case, the Lord will make an exception. You are allowed to be a secret Christian. Go home beside your bed and pray the prayer and accept Jesus into your heart, and it's okay. You won't have to tell anyone. The young man was greatly relieved. He went home, and when his family were asleep that night, he got out beside the bed and prayed the prayer, asked the Lord into his heart, became a Christian. The next morning at breakfast, the family are sitting there and he comes down and sits at the table and says, did you know it's possible to become a Christian and not tell anyone? (laughs) He couldn't help himself. Once he became a Christian, all he could do was tell others about Jesus. He couldn't help himself. He couldn't be an anonymous Christian any longer. We've been having some adventures by the lake over these few weeks as we work our way through the Gospel of Mark. Jesus has been teaching by the lake. And what has he been teaching? We read it every week. Let's read it again. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Have you memorized it yet? What does Jesus tell people to do? Repent and believe. Why should they repent and believe? Because the kingdom of God is coming near, has come near, is close by. And so as we've been following Jesus over these weeks, as he walks by the lake and does the different things, as he calms the storm, as he casts the legion of demons out of the man, as he commands death to let go of that little girl, we've heard Jesus speak of the importance of faith, of trust, of belief. He says, repent and believe. This is his recurring theme. In the boat, Jesus says to his disciples, Do you still have no faith? Do you still not believe? The man with the legion of demons ran towards Jesus, knowing there was someone who could help him, expressing his faith in Jesus. Jairus came and fell at Jesus' feet as an expression of his faith. And then later, when he was told that his daughter was already dead, Jesus' words to him were simple, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. Fear has played an important part in these chapters, the storm, the legion of demons, the dying daughter. And yet Jesus says to all of these people, to the disciples, the man with the demons, to Jairus, he says, don't be afraid, just believe. Just trust me. And the fourth story in this sequence has those same qualities. A bit of fear and a lot of faith. So if you've got your Bibles there, we're in Mark chapter 5. 
or the words will be here on the screen and we'll work our way through together. This is the interrupting woman that we talked about two weeks ago, the story of the interrupting woman. Jairus is there saying to Jesus, my daughter is dying, please come with me, please heal her. And there's an interruption and so Mark stops the story, sticks this other story in and comes back. We did that last week or two weeks ago. We talked about Jairus. Now we will look at the interruption. He's on his way with a large crowd. And verse 25 says, there was a woman there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Amongst the crowd is a woman who should not be there, a woman who has been subject to bleeding for 12 years. The Old Testament law says that such a person is ceremonially unclean and anyone who touches them will be made ceremonially unclean for at least a day. The Jewish people in their culture had this idea that blood equals life. They would never eat an animal that still had blood in it. They wouldn't eat meat with blood in it and things like that. They had lots of rules about bleeding and emissions and things, trying to contain diseases, trying to stop the communication of diseases. And here is a woman who's been suffering with bleeding for 12 years. She is unclean. And anyone who touches her will become unclean. Mark tells us a vivid description of this woman's problem. And what she'd done to solve it, she'd gone to the doctors. She'd spent all that she had and only gotten worse. Mark tells us that she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. When Luke tells this story, he leaves that bits out. Why? Because Luke's a doctor. He doesn't want to bag the other doctors. No, that's probably not true. In fairness, Matthew leaves that bit out as well. Mark is the one who tells us that this woman has suffered much because of these doctors. Here is a woman who has done everything she can. But this problem is beyond her capability. Her finances are exhausted. The medical science of the day has done all it can. She has suffered a great deal. She has reached the end of physical capability. And there's a lot of that going around in these stories as well. Remember the disciples in the boat are professional sailors. They know how to sail a boat. It's only when the boat starts to sink that they wake up Jesus. The people of the ten towns dealing with the man with the legion of demons, they'd tried him up. They'd, they'd, tried, they'd tried tying him up. They'd tried chaining him up. They'd done everything they thought to do for him, but to no avail. Nothing more can be done. And Jairus, falling at the feet of Jesus, is so desperate to save his daughter, he's willing to step out of his authority as the leader of the synagogue and go and speak to that rebel Jesus. And then she dies. And that's the end of the story. There's no coming back from death. But then Jesus. At the end of human capacity and resourcefulness, there is Jesus. When the professional sailors can't save the boat, they call to Jesus. When the people of the town can't tie up the, the man with the demons, they call for Jesus. When Jairus' daughter dies, he can do nothing but call for Jesus. And so this woman who has reached the end of human capacity has no other option but to reach out to Jesus. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. She heard about Jesus. 
Jesus has been wandering around this part of the world for a little bit now, around the Lake of Galilee, around Capernaum. And we have read and seen his various miracles in this neighborhood for a couple of chapters. Story after story about this man, Jesus, have made their way to this woman as well, isolated and impoverished and at the end of her rope. And so she decides that this is her chance. She doesn't want to take up his time. She doesn't want to make a big deal. She doesn't want to draw attention to herself. She isn't meant to be here. If she gets caught in the crowd, she could be in big trouble. Every person she rubs against in the crowd is now ceremonially unclean. That means that their prayers won't be heard. Their sacrifices won't be answered. Their good deeds will go unmarked in the Jewish religion. But she's willing to do it. She just wants to touch Jesus' cloak. Why? Because somehow she's convinced herself that that's all that's needed. Verse 28 says, Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Why did she think that? Jesus has healed many people by touching them. And we've heard a few stories before this in Mark's Gospel where Jesus healed someone just by giving an instruction by saying, stretch out your hand, or by saying to the paralyzed man, get up and take your mat and walk. But mostly when we read the stories of the miracles, Jesus is touching people and doing things deliberately. But something has convinced this woman that all it takes is to touch his clothes. Why? How has she come to that assumption? Perhaps, and only perhaps, this is my theory, This woman has been convinced by her own uncleanness. She has a problem with bleeding, and the law says that everything that she touches becomes unclean as well. So the woman's clothes are also unclean. And anyone who touches against the woman's clothes are also unclean. So maybe this woman has come to the conclusion that if her uncleanness can be transmitted to her clothes and through that to other people, maybe the opposite is also true. Maybe Jesus' holiness infects and fills and touches his clothes and anyone who touches his clothes will also be touching his holiness. This thing that has been a curse to her for so long, her uncleanness, gives her perhaps the seeds of her faith. Jesus is so clean, so holy, so pure, so wonderful, so full of healing that anything he touches must also be like that. His clothes must be holy and pure and wonderful and powerful as well. And therefore, anyone who touches his clothes will be made clean and pure and holy and healed. And she convinces herself of this reality and pushes her way through the crowd, reaching out to touch Jesus' clothes. Mark in this story says she touched his cloak Luke, when he tells a story, says he touched, he touched the edge of his cloak, the fringe, the very side of it, just the tiniest little bit of it was all it took to touch. The gospel says immediately. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Immediately. It worked. Immediately her bleeding stopped And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. She felt it. She knew it. This wasn't just optimism. This wasn't just name it and claim it. 
She didn't have to convince herself that she was healed. She knew it immediately. She felt it. This was an undeniable encounter with the living and powerful Messiah. I've heard of stories of people who've been prayed for for healing uh, for, for their eyes. Let's imagine a person is short-sighted, even more short-sighted than myself. You've all turned into blurs. And this person was prayed for by healing and their eyes hadn't got any better. And the preacher said to them, well, don't put your glasses back on because that's a sign of a lack of faith. And so he drove his car around for a week without wearing glasses like Mr. Magoo, smashing into everything. That's not how Jesus works. If you have to convince yourself that you've been healed, well, guess what? You haven't been healed. If Jesus heals you, you'll know about it. You'll be better. You'll be able to see. The bleeding will stop. You'll feel it in your body. You will know that you are healed. And that's what happened to this woman. Her encounter with Jesus left her in no doubt that she was healed. And best of all, Jesus hadn't even noticed. And she could just slip away in the crowd as an anonymous Christian without causing a fuss. Yes? Is that what happened? No. Verse 30 tells us, at once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? The Greek language doesn't allow us to understand the expression in Jesus' voice there. And you can imagine that in lots of different ways. Is it a loud shout of, oh, who touched my clothes? Is it an angry, who touched my clothes? Is it a, who touched my clothes? You can imagine that for yourself. And I think it will tell you a lot about the kind of Jesus you imagine when you think about how he said those words. Who touched my clothes? At once, immediately, instantly. It's the same word. The same word that we had before, immediately her bleeding stopped, at once it's translated here. It's the same word in Greek. Uh, Sometimes our English translations try to make our reading more interesting by putting a slightly different word in English for the same word in Greek. It's something to be aware of, and sometimes things get lost by doing that. So I encourage you to read a number of English translations and find a literal translation as well. And if you don't want to pay for one, go to BibleGateway.com Look up a literal translation. The problem with a literal translation is that it's really boring to read because they didn't have as many words in Greek as we have in English. And they use the word and a lot. And Jesus did this. And that happened. And, and, and. And so the English translations use different words. But just to point out that that at once in verse 30 is the same word in Greek as the verse in 29 immediately. This happened at the same moment. In the same moment the woman knew she was healed, Jesus knew that power had gone out from him. How does that work? Does Jesus have a certain amount of miracle power loaded up every day and when it's gone, it's gone? Like only having so many bullets or only having so many jelly beans? Maybe. Or is the power more like electricity? There's a demand, and so when there's an increase in demand, more electricity is provided down the wires. It isn't explained, but we are told that Jesus knew power had gone out and he stopped to find out where it had gone. He turned around and asked, who touched my clothes? The disciples say, you see all these people. The disciples don't get it. Of course they don't. 
They didn't feel the healing power go out or come in. They were just pushing their way through the crowd, trying to make space for Jesus, trying to get to where they need to go. Something beyond their five senses has occurred and they don't understand what's going on. So they say to Jesus, what are you talking about? But Jesus knows. Verse 32, Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. He knows the power has gone out of him, but it seems clear from the context he doesn't know where it's gone. And there are all kinds of theological questions there that we will happily skip over for today. If you want to talk to me about those deeper things, I'm happy to have that conversation. But today, let's just let the words on the page say what they say. Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. The woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. Her plan had been to sneak up on Jesus in the crowd, to touch his clothes and disappear again. She didn't want trouble. She didn't want to bother him. She didn't want anything public or outrageous. She wasn't meant to be here. She was unclean. She certainly didn't want anyone else in the crowd to know about her sickness. How embarrassing. How shameful. How awful. This was meant to be a quick and quiet healing with no one any the wiser. But everything has changed. Her optimistic theory about the clothes of the healer has been proven true beyond her wildest imagination. She has been healed. Immediately, her bleeding has stopped. She felt it. She felt it in her body. She was freed from her suffering. And so she abandons her plan of anonymity and steps forward to tell the whole truth. Just like that anonymous Christian I mentioned at the beginning, she found that she cannot keep quiet. She cannot stay hidden. Falling at his feet, trembling with fear, she told him the whole truth. Jairus had fallen at Jesus' feet and begged for his help. The man with the legion of demons had run and fallen on his knees before Jesus. The wind had stopped at a word. and The waves had fallen still. And this woman joins in the terrified worship of Jesus. She has had a divine encounter. Everything is different. Just because she heard about Jesus and reached out, the whole world is changed because she just touched the hem of his garment. She tells the whole truth. How long did it take for her to tell that whole, long, painful, difficult story? Jesus stops and listens to her. And eventually, when she's finished telling the whole truth, he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Daughter, daughter, that word. Jesus is on his way to heal Jairus' daughter. Remember that's the story we're interrupting? The story we talked about two weeks ago? And so Jairus has been standing there this whole time while this woman pulls out her whole heart and Jesus listens to her and Jairus has been there the whole time going, my daughter is dying. Come on. When I was first married to my wife, uh, I used to wait for her 
to do things or to get ready and go places. And she used to get very annoyed at me waiting for her. So eventually I said to her, look, this is the waiting chair. When I'm ready, I will sit in the waiting chair. And when you're ready, you can come and get me. But until I'm, if I'm not sitting in the chair, I'm not ready. But when I'm sitting in the chair, you can come and get me. I don't think Jesus was willing to sit in the waiting chair. Jairus was saying, come on, Jesus, we've got to go. But Jesus stops and he calls this woman daughter. This is the only place in Mark's gospel where Jesus calls anybody daughter. The only place in Mark's gospel where Jesus himself says to someone, daughter. The only place in Mark's gospel. And there's only one place in Mark's gospel where Jesus calls someone son. Does anyone remember where? We read it, oh, back in March probably. Jesus said to the paralyzed man whose friends were brought, brought him on the mat, lowered him through the roof. And Mark 2.5 says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Two people in Mark's gospel are called by Jesus, son and daughter, in response to great faith. Jesus is moved to call a man son and a woman daughter, children of faith, children of God. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. And again, we have a theological concern and we're tempted to correct Jesus. We're going to say, now hang on, Jesus, you don't mean that. It was your power that healed her. You did the work, not her. It was the power that went out from you that healed her. Her faith was nice, yes, but let's not get to the place where we tell people they just have to have faith to get healed, or the next thing you know, we'll have people sitting around convincing themselves of all sorts of strange things and calling it faith. Come on, Jesus, be reasonable. You can't say that, Jesus, your faith has healed you. How absurd. But that's what Jesus says. Jesus says what he says. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Our problem isn't with what Jesus says. Our problem is what we hear when we hear the word faith. Because sometimes we define faith in a completely different way to Jesus. Let's start with this. What has this woman done to show faith? Where is her faith? Is it in her own mind? Yes, to start with. This woman hears about Jesus and convinces herself to believe certain things about him. She convinces herself that he's good, that he's powerful, that he can heal. Then she makes some logical jumps to convince herself that all she has to do is to touch his clothes, his cloak, his garment, and she will be healed. Now that's a bit strange, but it's part of her faith. No one told her that. She came to that decision herself. It's a part of her faith in her mind. Had she just thought these thoughts and sat down at home having some nice thoughts, would she have been healed? Probably not. If she just convinced herself this was true and then done nothing about it, would she have been healed? Probably not. Instead, she puts these ideas into action. And so her faith doesn't just stay in her head, it got into her feet. 
and she walked. It got into her eyes and she looked for Jesus into her, in the crowd. Her faith got into her elbows and she pushed her way through the crowd and a couple of people got jostled. Her faith got into her arms and then she reached out and it got into her hand as she stretched out and then into her fingers as she touched the edge of Jesus' cloak and instantly she was healed. Faith isn't just having nice thoughts in your head. It isn't just being convinced of something intellectually. Faith isn't even being convinced of certain things about Jesus. Faith has to involve an action, some way of doing something about it, expressing it, showing it, reaching out. Our friend Billy had faith in the wheat bix, but he didn't put them in his belly. He had faith in the banana, but he didn't unpeel it and chew it. Faith that doesn't do anything is not faith. It's just a nice idea. We've gotten into terrible trouble in the Western world because we act as though faith is an intellectual pastime, something about right doctrine and right ideas and having them in your head. And yes, that's true. That's part of truth. That's part of what faith is, but it's not all of faith. And there's an equally dangerous idea, which is that faith is all about feelings and emotions and being determined and courageous and about optimism and hopefulness. And yes, that's part of faith, but faith is so much more than that. This woman, so highly praised by Jesus, shows us that faith might start in the head and it might start in the heart, but unless it puts shoes on its feet and pushes through the crowd and reaches out to Jesus, it ain't really Faith. James, the brother of Jesus, puts it like this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? In case that wasn't clear, he says it again. Show me your faith without deeds. And He's saying you can't. And I will show you my faith by my deeds. He goes on and he says, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Again, in chapter 1 of James, he writes, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. But I like it in the old King James Version. Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. James says, you got faith, that's great. Now do something about it. Demonstrate your faith, show it, use it. And Jesus himself says it in Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, anyone, everyone who puts these words of mine, hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The Sermon on the Mount isn't, just for our intellect, just to tell us some nice things about God. Jesus is saying, here are my words, go and do them. Put my words into action. Are there any questions this morning before we conclude? Any questions about anything I've said today that you'd like to ask me about? Don't hear any questions. My email address is there. My phone number is there. If you have questions, 
please, please communicate with me. I'd love to share with you. There are some deep theological problems with this passage. I'd love to discuss them with you if you've got questions. You'd like to, you tell me I'm wrong. I'd love to hear that I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, I'd love to be corrected. I don't think I am. But it'd be nice to hear. We talk a lot in our church about our faith fingers, the ways in which we grow our faith. Here are five, and there's lots, many more examples of ways to grow your faith, but the idea is that if you're holding your faith in your hand, you can hold it, hold tight to that thing, that truth about Jesus in different ways, through our private time, through spending time alone with Jesus. How is that an action? Surely we just sit quietly at home and drift off to sleep. How many of you drift off to sleep while you pray? Not allowed to lie in church. The problem we've got with, I'm stepping away from my notes, I'll give you another minute or two, please forgive me. If you fall asleep while you're praying, then you're praying wrong. We've been taught in the West that we sit quietly with our eyes closed and we think our prayers in our heads. I want to encourage you, if you have trouble, you fall asleep while you're praying or while you're reading the scriptures, do it out loud. Pray out loud. It'll keep you awake, for one. You'll remember what you prayed for two. God's probably more likely to hear you. No, that's not true. But it'll keep you awake and you'll remember what you prayed. So when you say to yourself, I promise to pray for so-and-so, which reminds me I forgot to pray for so-and-so because I didn't do it out loud. When I pray for so-and-so and then I think five minutes later, now did I pray for that person? Yes, because it went out of my lips and into my ears. Does it have to be a loud prayer? No. Mumble under your breath. If you're in church and the person up the front is praying and you want to pray along with them, repeat the words they're saying in your head or whisper them quietly under your breath. By doing something physical, we make real what's going on inside. That's, that's how we make our private time an act of faith. That trusted person, going deep with that trusted person, having a relationship with someone who can ask you the tough questions. Encourage you to do that. Find that person. To be part of a small group, to be part of a group of brothers and sisters who can read the scriptures together and challenge another and work together. To be part of something that points people towards Jesus. Raising money for missionaries overseas is important, and we do that in our church, but even more important than that is us having a part in pointing people to Jesus. In our story today, this woman heard about Jesus. Somebody told her the stories of Jesus, which gave her the idea to go and step out in faith. Who are you telling the stories of Jesus? Who are you telling about him? And then fifth, coming to church. That might not seem like an act of faith, but it is in our world, particularly in our world today. There's a virus floating around. Friends, if somebody's got it in here, there's a good chance we've all got it. This is an act of faith coming to church in these days. We put our faith in Jesus and say, look, there's a trouble in the world, but I'm still going to come. There's trouble in the world, but I'm still going to come to church. It's an act of faith. You will grow in your faith by belonging and talking and speaking to people and sharing together and singing and acting out our faith. When we have communion, when we have baptism, when we smile at the children and hold the babies in our church, we act out our faith. We do something. We act out our faith. We connect to Jesus. And as we act out our faith, we are sons and daughters of the great King. 
morning, I want to suggest to you that faith is like an extension cord. Some people have got big extension cords and some people have got short extension cords, but everyone's got a bit of faith. But the cord by itself doesn't do anything unless it's plugged in and turned on and then it can take the power to where it's needed. It's that simple. This woman had a lot of faith, but until she connected it to Jesus, her faith didn't do anything. You can have the world's biggest extension cord, but if your faith is in science, well, all you get is science. If your faith is in, I don't know, evolution, if your faith is in the donkey god, well, that's all you're going to get is donkeys and evolution. But if your faith is in Jesus, connect it, plug it in, reach out to him. This morning, I'm just going to put this extension cord here just as a symbol. Jesus' garment wasn't anything special. By the way, I'm pretty sure if you found Jesus' garment by now, I'm pretty sure the power would have worn off by now. So don't go chasing relics. That's not what it's about. There's no particular power in a bit of cloth. The power is in Jesus. But I'm going to put this cord here this morning just as a symbol. And this morning as we sing and as we pray, if the Lord is speaking to you, you might like just to come out and just just touch the extension cord just to say, look, I want my faith to connect me to Jesus. We will imagine that that end is plugged into the cross. So just as a simple response this morning, we're going to sing a simple song. We have an anonymous Christian, we have an anonymous woman, and here's a song by Anonymous. He writes the best songs, or she writes the best songs. So this morning as we sing, if you'd like to come forward, if something's telling you this morning, if the Holy Spirit is saying to you, act out your faith, you might like just to come out and just touch this extension cord and say, I want to connect to Jesus. I want to be closer to him. Let's pray. Father God, this morning we thank you for the many ways you help us to connect to you. We thank you for your word that tells us the stories of Jesus. Father God, we thank you for Jesus who shows us what you are really like. Father God, I pray this morning if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, who needs a touch from you, come Lord God, come Holy Spirit, touch us, connect to us, join us to you. Father God, help us to exercise our faith. Help us to use what you've given to us to reach out to you. We pray all this in the precious and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.